You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Paw Vogue with Cuba, America's top dog. I am your host, Bob Shaughnessy, and Cuba is sitting here on my lap waiting for the show. We hope you had a chance to listen to episode 15 with Erica Searle. If not, you can listen to the episode by going to iTunes, Pet Life Radio, or go directly to our website. And we have a new website now. It's pawtalkshow.com. That's paw, P-A-W, talk, T-A-L-K, show, S-H-O-W.com. And there you'll be able to see photos and listen to the show. Today we have a very special celebrity guest, and I've been anxious to have her on the show, and many of you know her. Her name is Andrea Arden. We have so much to discuss today, but before we do that, we'll give our sponsors time to say a few words. It's time for a walk down Fifth Avenue, of course. We'll be right back after we do a little shopping. Your dog digs a hole under your fence, and the next thing you know... Protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit digdefense.com today. D-I-G-D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com. Your groomer is going to hate me. Hi, I'm Allie McLennan. Join me for my Pet Life Radio show, Groom for Improvement. You're going to save time and money with these tips from my New York City grooming table. From product recommendations to do's and don'ts, I am going to hook you up. So just do me a favor and don't mention this to your groomer. Groom for Improvement on Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. From Paris, New York, and around the globe, get ready for the hip, the trendy, the uber cool where pets rule. Welcome back to Pulvo with Cuba America's Top Dog. Before we introduce Andrew Arden, we want to make sure you have had a chance to check out the new Pulvo.com. It's a new website, and it's quite different than the original. We have taken many of the features from the original website that were popular, such as the collections, the model showcases, and we've added some new features. We now blog. Yes, we are blogging about Paw News, and Paw News is everything from pet fashion, pet fashion designers, pet fashion events, and anything else that we can find about pet fashion. We are blogging every day. We also have a second blog, which is called Paw 6. And Paw 6 is a takeoff on page 6 from the New York Post. Paw 6 is going to be lots of fun. It'll be about the fashionistas that most of us know from around the country. We have reporters in four different cities who are going to help report this news. Some of it will be gossip. Some of it will be true. But hopefully it's all going to be fun. So when you have a chance, check out the new PawVogue.com. Okay, let's get on with today's show. It's certainly a pleasure to introduce and welcome a friend of mine, Andrea Arden, and her dog, Nora. 
Well, Hi, thank you for having us. Hello. We're very excited to sit down and have a chat with you in Cuba. And I just want to say that I hope at some point I do something controversial or I wear some controversial outfit so I can make it onto Paw 6 News. <laughs> <laughs> I want the photo. <laughs> Cuba and I have been fortunate. We've known Andrea since Cuba was a pup. So it's about six and a half. So about six years ago we met. He has attended, I'm not sure, three or four of Andrea's classes even though we never had Andrea as a teacher, but we had some of her other great trainers. And I don't even know if you know this, Andrea, but on his Facebook page, it says he's a graduate of Andrea Arden University. Yes, I know that, actually. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So let me introduce Andrea, and I'm going to introduce her instead of her having herself introduce herself. She's an expert animal trainer, recently voted best in New York City. She has her own company. They teach at four different locations in New York, New York City, three in Manhattan and one in the Bronx. She has a great staff of trainers. They do individual training, group training, seminars, and she also has a love of horses. She has been an advocate for animals since I don't know when. She can tell us that. I don't know when that began. She's been a regular on TV. She's a TV celebrity. According to IMDB, she has been on five shows on a regular basis and over 30 episodes. Plus, she's appeared on other news shows, etc. Our personal favorite was Underdog to Wonder Dog. And I have to say, we never missed an episode. And it was on for two seasons. And I know it was a lot of work. Andrew and I had talked about it. She's on a new show now, which we'll talk about shortly. She spent seven years on the board of directors of Animal Haven. She's an author. She just published her fifth book, which we'll discuss later on. And she's the only one I know who came out with an iPhone app. How did I do so far? I think that sounds pretty good. It makes me feel very old. (laughs) I thought the same thing when I wrote it. (laughs) After 20 years, I guess it's to be expected that you have done a lot of stuff. (laughs) The iPhone app surprised me, though, I have to say. And it's fun. It's $1.99 and you can download it. If you go to our webpage, you will see all this information today. So as I say, go to pawtalkshow.com. And you'll be able to find most of the um, information we're talking about today. There are links to purchase her book, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're on that page now, and if those of you who are not near a computer, you'll have to wait till you get home. But isn't the first photo of Andrea and Nora adorable? What do you think, Andrea? I like to think so. I think when Nora's in a picture, it, it automatically becomes adorable times 10. <laughs> I don't know Nora very well. Tell us about her. Well, Nora was a dog that I actually adopted when I was on a trip in Paris. Hmm. So she's a little Parisian pooch. You were able to get her through customs and everything, adopting her? I was. She actually was a day, it was a day before her three-month birthday. And um, so she wasn't required to have, you know, rabies and all that stuff. So she just made it under the wire. And um, I'm grateful for that ever since. She is one of the great loves of my life. Uh, I'm sorry, how old is she? She is now, well, we don't like to talk about her age, but if you insist, oh. she's a little over 10. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like great. to think of her as like two at all times. <laughs> I know. I can't believe that Cubas are going to be seven in October. Like, he was just two. <laughs> you also have a great love for horses. And we have a photo of you with the horse Alaska. How often do you get to ride? 
Well, I actually used to, um, I used to compete in horse shows and I used to train horses. I even lived in South Africa for a while and was working with horses there. But I really haven't ridden much in the last 10 years. And my birthday in May, one of the things that I sort of committed myself to was that I was going to start riding again. And so this summer I have been riding almost every day. And one of the horses that I've been riding a lot is a beautiful warm blood mare named Alaska. And as you can see from the pictures, she is delicious. And where is she located? She's in New Jersey, New Jersey, and I go visit her every day, and I, I think one of the things that I enjoy most about spending time with her is uh, is bathing her and grooming her. She's like my beautiful equine Barbie doll. She is beautiful. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess we better get started with some other topics. We have, let's see, you're certainly a well-known national dog trainer. You're considered an expert by everyone, and you're an animal advocate. How did you start out with becoming an animal advocate and becoming a trainer? Well, I started off becoming a trainer because I was working with horses. And then when I moved back to New York City, I got a dog and started um, taking classes at a dog training school. And they asked me to apprentice. And then I had a very, very lucky break in regards to um, developing a platform on TV and other media outlets because I was answering the phone one day and a new network was starting called FX. And they called me and asked me if I'd like to audition to be on a daily pet show called The Pet Department. And I didn't want to do it because I'm actually very camera shy. But my boyfriend at the time insisted that I go in an audition and the rest is history. And uh, more importantly, my passion about animal advocacy really started well before that. Even as a child, I was volunteering at the different rescues here in New York City. And I've, I've always thought it's super important to use, you know, any means at your disposal to really raise awareness about all the issues that are important, primarily, hopefully, banning puppy mills in the United States sometime oh. soon, of course, spay neuter, and that adoption really is the best option. I hear you there. I've been right behind you. The, um, you had a very close relationship. I guess you still do, of course, but you were on the board at Animal Haven for seven years? Yes. Yeah, I love Animal Haven. I think they are one of the groups that really deserves a lot of credit for working very hard to, again, raise awareness about the benefits of rescuing a dog. You know, they bring in dogs that and cats that have some very severe issues and help to rehabilitate them and find them wonderful homes. And there's, there's lots of groups like Animal Haven all across the country. And I always think that, you know, the people who work at these organizations really don't get enough credit for how tirelessly they work. So let's take this opportunity to give a round of applause to everybody who's involved with Animal Rescue across America. <laughs> Yay! Yes. yes. It is a tough job. It is, yeah. Yeah. You know, I work for Havanese Rescue, but, you know, it's a little bit easier with them. <laughs> yes. Well, because Havanese are so popular now with good reason that, you know, on the one hand, a lot of people get them and then go, ooh, a dog is a big responsibility and they place them up for adoption. But there's, you know, hopefully a very long waiting list of people who are there to open up their hearts and homes to them. Yeah, last I heard last year, we had 100 applications for every dog. Wow, that's amazing. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I think it's changed a little bit this year. Now let's talk about your company, Andrea Arden Dog Training. And I have to say, I said it before, you have wonderful staff. They seem to be pretty loyal. They're there quite a few years. They are loyal, and I'm loyal to them. I have to say... um, You know, when I started as a dog trainer, well, gosh, almost 20 years ago now, I never imagined that I would have a company where I have other trainers that I work with. It was always just me for the first five or so years. But um, I would say that my company's success really is due so much to the people that I get to work with. I mean, if you look at their bios on my website, they are unbelievably talented trainers who have, you know, spent so much time on their education. They take what they do very seriously. They're super committed 
to the dogs that they're helping and to the people, you know, who get to share their lives with those dogs. And they're just amazing. Now, do you, because I've wondered this for a long time, because a few times we'd have one of the trainers would be uh, miss a class and another trainer would come in. They would mm-hmm. say almost word for word. Do they I, meet, I brainwash them. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's like a clockwork orange. No, um, it really is just that we're all so like-minded. I mean, we all really are on the same page in regards to really wanting to promote positive dog training. And, um, and we also spend a lot of time, yes, having meetings, but more importantly, sitting in on each other's classes and private lessons. So oftentimes what we'll find is that we not only are like-minded in regards to our overall view of how we should be treating animals, but also sometimes we say things, we pick up each other's mannerisms and little sayings, and it's kind of funny oh, yes. because you hear yourself <laughs> doing it, and you're like, oh, wait, that's, that's something Joanne says. <laughs> I've said to myself, wow, she sounds just like Andrea. <laughs> right. Or it could be the other way around. Sometimes we never know where things really start. <laughs> One of the things that I really do not understand is, you know, there's different techniques of training. There's the modern dog training techniques, which is really the only one I ever knew of. What is the other one called? The old one? Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends <laughs> on who you ask. I mean, I oftentimes just refer to it as traditional dog training. Traditional. Um, I think we have to be careful not to be too disparaging, even though I do have strong opinions about that methodology. But, you know, I don't want to scare people away from educating their dogs. I want them to understand why a more modern, scientific-based approach is really the only route to take. I kind of consider myself lucky in some ways because I started so long ago that actually when I started, there really were very few people doing anything but traditional training. And that really meant, you know, the minute you walked in the door to a training school, your dog was outfitted with a choke collar or a prong collar. And the primary means of getting a dog to do or stop doing something was about punishment. So it might be yanking a collar, you know, they called it a leash pop. It could be using something like a throw chain to throw it at a dog if they did something inappropriate like barking excessively. Um, And that is actually how it was taught originally. Hmm. But I met a gentleman named Dr. Ian Dunbar, who has since become a great friend of mine. Yeah, he's terrific. He started the Association of Pet Dog Trainers, and he really helped me to see the light, as he did with thousands of other people, that, you know, that approach can do a lot more damage than good in the sense that it can create fear in a dog, even aggression. And it certainly doesn't bode well for a good relationship with your dog when you base teaching them on the animal being afraid of you. I would think, though, today, almost everyone I, at least everyone I know uses the modern dog training technique. Are there still a lot of trainers that do not? Well, you know, the movement really was so strong 10 years ago that, yeah, it was hard to find somebody who used a shot collar or a prong collar. But unfortunately, there have been some people who have, you know, very sort of loud platforms on TV who have, you know, sort of made traditional dog training rear its head again. So I I do see people now doing stuff that I I wish that they would consider not doing. But I'm seeing maybe the, the wave of change going back to modern dog training again, which is a very good thing. Okay, well, it's about that time we need to take a commercial break. So um, we will be back in a few minutes. It's time for a walk down Fifth Avenue, of course. We'll be right back after we do a little shopping. Dog Shelter Blues, the new novel by Mark Conkling. This hard-hitting story lights up the world of animal rescue with engaging characters and their pets. Struggling with their own internal demons as they attempt to rescue innocent creatures that sometimes bring a mysterious transforming power to broken lives. 
read the first chapter of Dog Shelter Blues free at dogshelterblues.com and come along a breathtaking journey that ends with an astonishing triumph of good over evil. Order your copy of Dog Shelter Blues today. Available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Love My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter, available on iTunes. Hi, I'm Dr. Jeff Werber from Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. We want to hear from you. Listen in. We're on every Thursday, 1 o'clock Pacific Time, 4 o'clock Eastern Time here on PetLifeRadio.com. We are one of the only live shows on Pet Life Radio, and I'm here to answer your questions. You can call in at 877-385-8882, or you can drop me an email to drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com, and hopefully we'll see you here on Thursdays. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. From Paris, New York, and around the globe, get ready for the hip, the trendy, the uber cool where pets rule. Welcome back to Pulpa with Cuba, America's top dog. And we are now here with Andrea Arden, and we are discussing training techniques. I do have a question from one of our listeners, which I don't think you'll be able to help with this question because you don't have enough details. But the question is, how do I get my dog to stop barking? I think I might be able to help a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would think you'd have more confidence in me than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, such a general question. <laughs> it is. I mean, it, you're right. It does depend on, you know, what is causing the barking and what the barking's about. There's attention-seeking barking where a dog is used to barking and then you respond by maybe telling them to shush or petting them or whatever you do. There's barking, alert barking, where the dog is barking at sounds in the hallway or outside of your home. And then there's stress barking where a dog is left alone and maybe feeling uncomfortable with that. But by and large, you know, the first step in resolving any behavior issue is to try and identify what you think is triggering the dog to behave that way. And once you're able to identify that, then you can say to yourself, okay, so what is possibly the underlying emotion? Is it that the dog is, again, attention-seeking? Is it stressed? Because that information allows you to make a behavior protocol that will make it as easy as possible to help the dog to behave differently. So, for example, if it's attention-seeking, first and foremost, say to yourself, the underlying emotion is that the dog wants your attention. So try your best not to give the dog attention for barking, and that includes eye contact, touching, telling the dog even to shush or be quiet, even though you think you're being negative. The dog may very well say, well, I would prefer negative attention to none at all. And then the other thing you can do is make sure that you give the dog um, an alternative behavior, and that one of the things I'm a big fan of is environmental enrichment, is having toys in your home that are foodstuffs that really keep your dog interested in interacting with them, in which case they don't have the time or the inclination to bark excessively. If it's barking resulting from the stimulus of sounds outside, then kind of go with Pavlov, where he taught the dog that the ringing of a bell meant that something good was about to happen, they were about to get food. So likewise, you can teach your dog that when they hear sounds outside, that actually it doesn't mean you have to alert and let the whole house know, but actually those sounds mean you're about to find something on the floor that's delicious. So take a few tiny pieces of treats 
and toss them on the floor for your dog to snuffle around and find them. It feels weird at first because you feel like you're reinforcing the barking, but it's called classical conditioning where the Mm -hmm. dog will eventually start to hear the sounds and say, oh, it's time to look for something good on the ground to eat. And then eventually you can increase the periods of time from when the sound happens to when you actually toss the treat. So eventually you shouldn't have to toss any at all. You just give them those toys I mentioned. Cube is interesting in the fact that if the doorbell rings, he does bark like crazy, but he only does it if I'm home. If I'm not home and there are other people here, he doesn't bark if the doorbell rings. So it's only me that he's he's letting know. (laughs) Yeah, he's just showing off to you. He wants you to know that even though he's a little Havanese, he can still act as a watchdog. (laughs) 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 No, but, but in all seriousness, dog's behavior changes dramatically in some cases depending on the context. So a dog might behave very differently with me, with you, you know, depending on who's in the home, who's not in the home. If it's something you're concerned with, again, it's really simple, actually. You can have a friend come over and, you know, every minute or so just ring the doorbell. And, again, that would be the time when you would feed Cuba his normal meal or special treat. And I'm telling you, within probably about 20 or 30 repetitions, he will start to, the minute he hears the doorbell, he may do little woofs, but he'll start to look at you or look to the ground for the yummies. Because, again, like Pavlov, he's learning that that sound means that food is about to come. The original question that came from one of our listeners, they actually, the dog is a dachshund. Is it true that dachshunds are known for barking? (laughs) Well, it's so funny. I was on um, uh, that show uh, live with Kelly and Michael, and I I think I might have mentioned something along those lines. (laughs) That (laughs) dachshunds and miniature pinchers tend to be a little vocal. And I have already gotten a number of emails from dachshund and minton lovers saying, how could you say that? But, uh, yeah, they do tend to be vocal. It's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. Again, it's all about context. You know, it's just who they are. But with that said, if your dog has a propensity to be highly vocal, then what that means is, like any good pet parent, you need to up the ante and make sure that you're even more careful to manage them to prevent that behavior from becoming a problem. Yes, I have to say, every dachshund I know does bark a lot. But let's yeah, move do. on. <laughs> we have um, on the webpage, I actually listed your group classes. And as I said, Cuba's attended a number of them. So let's look at those classes because I have to say there are some here that I'm not sure what they're teaching. And I did not want to well, click and go beyond what's here. So we'll let you tell us. Okay. I think well, most of are pretty basic. Yeah. Well, we offer, you know, um, basic manners classes. We offer puppy classes, which Dr. Ian Dunbar really deserves credit for bringing to America. And we offer, you know, more advanced classes, level two obedience. But we also offer some super, super fun additional classes like agility. We offer tricks classes. And we've started offering a number of classes that have become really popular very quickly. One is called Sherlock Knows. <laughs> that was the one I had and, the question about. <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, it's run by our amazing agility instructor, Frankie Jarif, who actually is one of the people who I credit for starting my career with dogs because she was one of the instructors at the school 20 years ago where I took classes, and now she's working with me, so it's great. But it's the class Sherlock Knows is really all about using your dog's amazing sense of smell and harnessing that to have fun with your dog. So just like search and rescue dogs, um, use their sense of smell to do wonderful things, you can also teach your pet dog to use their sense of smell to play games. And that's a form of enrichment. Yes, we actually play hide and seek every day around the, the apartment. Hiding there treats. you go. You didn't even know it and you're already playing Sherlock Knows games. <laughs> I won't go to that <laughs> class now. <laughs> you already know it. <laughs> I mean, he loves it. I mean, he just waits for it every day. 
How does someone become a dog trainer? Like if someone listening to this, they're saying, no, maybe that's a career for me. What would be the step to do that? Well, I would say the first thing is that you really have to ask yourself, do you want to be a dog trainer? And and the reason I say that is because we must get easily five emails or phone calls a day from people who, who would like to apprentice with us. And the vast majority of those people say, oh, you know what? I want to quit my job. I don't really like working with people, but I love animals, so I want to be a dog trainer. And that person right away, I would say, well, then this is not the job for you because one of the primary focuses of being a professional dog trainer is working with people. You know, you're not just going into a home or going into a shelter and working with the dogs. You're working with potential adopters or people who already have a dog. And you have to really be able to communicate with them in such a way that not only can you relay the information you want to, but that you can motivate them and really convince them why it is that they need to follow your advice. With that said, if you feel that you're a dog person and a people person and you really want to be a dog trainer, I like the route I took. It really worked for me. It's worked for the people who work with me currently and for other trainers that I uh, met when they started. And that is to begin by taking your own dog to as many classes as you can so you get real first-hand experience. And then secondly, trying to find a trainer in your area that you can apprentice with, who you really respect. And at the same time that you're apprenticing, going to as many seminars and conferences like the APDT conference as you can and absorbing as much information as possible so that when you're eventually ready to actually work with clients, you really have, you know, a, a good foundation of knowledge because I think one of the things that people do with any career is that they, they're so enthusiastic and they want to j- dive in that they'll say something like, well, I'm going to take this online course and learn how to, you know, be a dog trainer or whatever it is they want to do. I generally suggest that that's probably not the best option because you really do need to spend at least a year, if not two, really developing your education before you can expect that you could, you know, say to somebody else, well, now you're going to pay me for this information. Right. Yes. And for those of our listeners who have never taken a dog to a training class, the training class is not for the dog. The training class is for the human because you're the one who ends up learning how to, well, you should be learning how to train the dog. So you do learn so many methods. Yeah, because, you know, the thing is, I mean, I just had a conversation with a gentleman last night, actually, who had, oh, actually, as a dachshund, and he really was, wanted to send his dog away somewhere to get it trained. And, you know, I, I said to him, listen, you know, it's an option, but really so much of the onus is on you to learn how to do what it is you need to do to help your dog and help resolve this problem, that it's not like dogs are computers. It's not like you can send it to somebody and it's programmed, and then you take it back and it's ready to go. You know, it's like I said before, dogs are going to behave differently in different environments and with different people, and that means that you and your family members really need to learn how to be good dog trainers and pet parents in order to really guide your dog towards the best behavior possible. Agreed. Okay, we're going to move on. I know you agree. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You'd beat me over the head if I didn't. (laughs) When did your fifth book come out? Just this two months ago? No, it was longer than that. I'm so bad with time, though, but it was maybe Uh, six months or maybe something like that ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, Andrea has her fifth book, which is Barron's Dog Training Bible. And you can actually go on the page, click on the book, and purchase it. It's connected to Amazon, I believe. So I have a question. I haven't seen the book, but I have ordered it. Why is this book different than the others? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you said that because when Barron came to me and asked me to work on this book, I said, well, I, I'm very proud of the books I've already done. You know, I'm especially proud of dog-friendly dog training. You know, how is, I asked them, how do you see this as being different? And First of all, there were some things that I wanted to put into this book that I've learned in the last, you know, nine or ten years since the last book I published. For example, there's a real focus on impulse control exercises 
which I'm, I'm happy to say has become a very important topic in the dog training world, that being that you know many behavior problems are due to a lack of impulse control, whether it be pulling on leash, jumping up on people, garbage raiding, excessive parking. And one of the other things that I really am happy about in regards to Baron's Dog Training Bible is that there's a lot of really beautiful photographs that are very descriptive and really help people to follow along with the text, which... I've come to learn over my years in publishing that beautiful color photos are tough to get into what are called reference books because they're so expensive. And so that was a really important issue for me in regards to agreeing to do this book is that I really wanted that to be something that would highlight this book and and make it really stand out. I was wondering how Barron's works. They actually approached you to do the book. Yeah. Now, I know this part of your life you get a little embarrassed by sometimes, the celebrity Uh-oh. part of your life. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to talk about dating or something. I was ah, like, ooh, no, we're not going there. that up here. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be when you come over for drinks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the, um, you know, I went to IMDB and to see you know, what shows you've been on and many more than I realized. But I love the photos they had on your profile. And they're also on the page. There are, I think, six photos. And the first one, you're sitting there with five different dogs, all different types. What a great photo that is. That was my favorite. Okay. Um, well, I, I think any time you see somebody surrounded by dogs, it's a great photo. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm looking at them right now again. They're adorable. I don't think any of them are yours, though. I mean, Nora's not in any of them. No, you know, you know what? I don't use Nora in a lot of stuff, and I actually didn't even have her on the cover of the Baron's Dog Training Bible, is because of her coloring, it's very hard to get a good photograph of her. However, she was on, and she is on the second edition of Dog Friendly Dog Training, and I'm looking at her right now, and she looks adorable. Uh, um, and I had Amanda Jones take that photo, but it is tough with dogs that are mostly white to get a, a really nice, crisp shot. You should see when, they have, when you have a black dog, what they say. I know that's even harder. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Cuba's first commercial, or first time he was contacted for an ad was, I think it was Calvin Klein, and they contacted me, and someone from Calvin Klein did, and they sent me to go to the photographer. I walked in, and the photographer goes, it's a black dog. I don't do black dogs. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, this is all I've got, so. <laughs> so you are back on TV again. Um, why don't you tell us about the shows that you're on now? Well, right now I work with Animal Planet. Um, I've had a lovely relationship with them for about seven years, and I work on the shows that have been on for, for I think, at least five years, Dogs 101, Cats 101, America's Cutest Pet, and Pets 101. And um, I also do some other projects with them. I was just out in California filming something with them about a month ago, and that was really fun. And I got to actually work with a, a wonderful trainer named John Casey, who is unbelievable. He does the disc dog competitions and agility stuff and it was great to spend time with him and see his super cool dog so yeah i've had a a really i think wonderful relationship with animal planet over the years and i'm lucky that they've chosen to include me in a number of their their very popular shows and you're also on quite a few of the morning shows here in new york i am i was actually just on um, live with kelly and michael twice this week and that was super fun and i adore them and i adore anybody who um who really makes an effort to get the word out about rescue i i appreciate it. They brought on um, dogs from the Maine Society of New York and from North Shore Animal League, which is terrific to raise awareness. And I believe that most of those puppies that were on this week have all been adopted. Oh, that's great. That's great. Now, as I said before, my favorite show was Underdog to Wonder Dog. And we we didn't miss it, a show. We didn't even tape them. We watched them live. (laughs) It was on for two seasons, correct? Yes, it was. Yes. 
And I know you had told me it was really long hours and it was a high budget. And, but one of my questions as always was, did every dog have a happy ending? You know, as far as I know, the vast majority of dogs did. Unfortunately, there were a couple of dogs that did not remain um, with the families. And one in particular is a dog named Faith. But um, oh, yes. the, people who were, yeah, the people who have had her now contacted me about a month or two ago on Facebook and let me know that she's doing quite well. And I saw some pictures of her and she's adorable. Oh. One of the families that I'm like, so attached to and they were just absolutely lovely is the Worms and they adopted um, a pitbull named Ivory and I wish they had done a follow-up in this because they not only adopted her but months later a month later they adopted her mom and they uh, are just the great. loveliest couple sadly Mr. Warren passed away but his wife still has Ivory and her mom and I know they're doing very well and it's a, a beautiful story uh, good one of the things we wanted to mention quickly, too, also, was that in our neighborhood, there have been more and more pet shops opening up. When I moved here, there weren't any. Now we have three. And I've been very actively involved with city council in Albany and have gotten nowhere with selling pets in pet shops. I know you are very against it. I mean, we all want to close puppy mills. But where can we go? What's the next step? Well, I, you know, I think one of the things is that it's sad that people don't understand why people like you and I don't want pet stores to be able to sell dogs and cats. And if they're adorable, of course they're adorable. If they weren't adorable, people wouldn't be purchasing them. And that's why they put them in the window, because they draw attention and they bring people in who, you know, oftentimes on impulse get a dog just because it's cute. But the point is this, that those beautiful little baby animals that are in the window, when you think of what's behind them and where they came from, the mother and father of those dogs are living incredibly horrifyingly cruel lives where they're kept in very small cages, they're bred over and over again, and then they're discarded when they're no longer considered breeding material. And so every puppy that is purchased at a pet store, while people might think that they're rescuing that particular dog, unfortunately, unwittingly, what they're doing is they're playing a part in supporting a system that really needs to be abolished. So what I hope is that more and more people, and I think it's happening, even though I know that you're right, stores have opened their area, but is that more and more people are becoming aware of, of this stuff. I really do think, and maybe I'm just being too optimistic, but I do think that people are really starting to understand that adoption really is the hip option. You know, going to a breed-specific rescue, whether you want to get a Havanese, a bloodhound, a greyhound, it doesn't matter, or to your local shelter to find a dog is really one of the best ways you can go. And, and with that said, if you say, you know what, I don't, I want to get a purebred puppy, then choose going to a reputable breeder as opposed to a pet store. Right. And for our listeners, write to your city council, write to your mayors and write to your congressmen and let them know how you feel about this, because I'm sure everyone agrees with you that's listening to this show. It is a big problem. And some cities have changed the laws. I think L.A. no longer allows pets to be sold or is it, or is it San Francisco? One of the two, I forget. I think it's L.A., yeah. L.A., yeah. I guess we have to wrap up this show pretty soon. What else is going on in Andrea's life? What's coming up? <laughs> well, I am working on relaunching my website. And um, one of the things that I have become truly focused on in the last six months is going to make me seem like a real dork. In fact, I am a real dork, so it's fine to get the word out there. (laughs) I have become obsessed with, get ready for this, Pinterest. (laughs) (laughs) I know you are. (laughs) My Pinterest boards are on fire, and I'm thrilled about it. (laughs) I'd say about 80% of the time when I go into Pinterest, I see your postings first. (laughs) (laughs) Good. 
I've actually, I bought myself a camera. I went on a safari in January and I bought myself a, a fancy camera for that. I've never had a nice camera. And um, as a result, I was able to justify it because as a result, I've started taking tons of pictures of dogs and horses. I've had such a blast doing it. And I gotta say, I didn't understand Pinterest until I got that camera, but now I do. It's a place to really just have fun with that whole visual, you know, component of seeing beautiful pictures, whether it be of dogs, horses, other animals, or for some people, fashion, whatever it is you're interested in. But I'm a huge fan now. Yeah, I, I actually like it too. You could, you'd spend hours sometimes just looking at whatever topic it is and who you're following, yes. and it's great. Yes, I moved on from Facebook to Pinterest. <laughs> and if you look at the bottom of the page, on the webpage, you will see um, different places to follow Andrea, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. I don't think I follow you on Instagram. I'll have to check that one out. Oh, you better remedy that right now, mister. <laughs> I will, before <laughs> 3 o'clock. Well, Andrea, we want to thank you for all you do for the animal kingdom. You really are an advocate, and everyone who knows you knows how much time you spend. And I want to thank you today for being on our show. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Well, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me. We also would like to thank our listeners and the producers of Paul Bogue with Cuba, America's Top Dog. Thank you, Mark. Cuba, of course, has to have the last word as he does every show. And he is giving a bark out to someone he met in February. And boy, did he have a crush on her. Her name is Bree. She has this great wardrobe. And she happens to have a mom who's a pet fashion designer, Sandra Barnes, who owns Chica Bow Wow. Thank you very much. Bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.